book of Jude in your Bibles again, or I want you to notice verse 9 of this text. God reveals something to Jude that's intriguing, to say the least. It says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending, fighting with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. And of course, when he did that, it says he durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. In other words, in the context of talking to these believers about the issue of respect for authority and the slandering ways of false teachers, the brother of James, the half-brother of our Lord, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to use an incident way in the past as an illustration of what he's teaching here. And of course, the reason why we say this is an an intriguing illustration is that obviously he's describing an occasion when Michael the archangel fought and disputed with Satan, the devil, over the body, the lifeless body of Moses. We know this morning that the body of Moses was buried by God himself somewhere in the valley of Moab. We know that according to the Old Testament, quote, no man knoweth his sepulcher unto this day. And that was by God's design. God did not want Moses' body to enter the promised land. Nor did he want his bones or his grave to be recovered. We don't know why. People have conjectured, perhaps the Israelites, they would use it in idolatry. And that's exactly what they did with centuries with that brazen serpent. Either way, God in his omniscience did not want the body or the grave of Moses to be known. But that just brings us back again to this contention. What does it tell us that an archangel of God fought with Lucifer, a former archangel of God, over the lifeless body of a man on this earth? Since all Scripture is profitable, what do we profit from knowing about this otherwise unknown event? Well, I can tell you from the spiritual perspective, the prophet is very, very rich indeed. And I want us to hear from the Word of God today. Let's pray. Father, please help us, please, because we need your help. We thank you, Lord, for this, your Word today, for blessing us with the fellowship of your people, singing praises to your name. But we come now to your word, and we need your help. May the Spirit hear, may the church hear what the Spirit hath to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things I want us to consider this morning in light of the very fascinating account about Michael and Lucifer disputing over a human being's remains. And the first reminder is pretty obvious, because the first one is that number one, there is a war. Now, of course, by war, we're referring to the fact that right now in this universe, there is an ongoing war, the details of which are unseen to the human eye. It was in Daniel chapter 10 that it was revealed to God's man, Daniel, that the prince of the kingdom of Persia was a demonic force that resisted, it said, fought against, if you will, none other than Gabriel who was then assisted by the same angel Michael that we're looking at in our text. Now again, Daniel would have never known that, right? And we would never know that if it were not told us here in the Word of God. But here it is, beloved. It's not Hollywood. It's not Netflix. It's not Dante. This is God's Word 
reminding us that in fact Satan has waged a long, long war against God. So that what we must not forget is that behind everything you do see in this world, behind the scenes at Moses' funeral, and yes, behind the scenes in Washington, D.C., behind the scenes of the Russian Revolution in 1917 and behind the scenes at the Inquisition and the Dark Ages and Nebuchadnezzar and Alexander and Caesar and Napoleon and Hitler and behind the scenes at Calvary, behind what we can see at Gethsemane and Paul's trial and even with the Mayflower and the American Revolution and behind all of the visible scenes of the Great Awakenings, behind all of the events leading up to both world wars and ISIS and the Gulf War, and today in Ukraine. Behind all of the headlines that we see and all of the history seen by others, as Dan mentioned a moment ago, being a light in a dark place, calling that the Pentagon. Always there has been this war that we cannot see. And you know, we may not see it, but it sees us. And it is real. And it is relentless. And it is ongoing. And it is unavoidable. You read the Gospels, you will take note that whenever the Lord Jesus entered into a town or a village, this is the Son of God walking into a town or a village. When He showed up, the demons, you'll notice, almost always got active. Things that were going on behind the veil all along suddenly became apparent. Reminding us again that there is a big, big picture here. You see, folks, there is a reason for all of the bizarre and inexplicable, illogical, self-destructive, hypocritical, inhuman, perverted, unnatural developments we've seen in recent years. You look at COVID as a pestilence, the war in Europe now. These huge corporations in America embracing bizarre, deviant behavior to their own detriment. You see these things going on and it causes you to, to shudder at the foolishness and to question the sanity. And when you see it increasing and getting even crazier, remember that behind the headlines of these lunatics and these haters, there's a spiritual war going on. In Luke chapter 22, just as Jesus was betrayed in the garden, our Lord looked at the elders and captains who seized him. They're just people doing people's work. Soldiers doing soldier things. But Jesus looked at them and he said something to them that's always fascinated me. He said in verse 53, When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But, Jesus said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Now think about that. The power of darkness. You read biographies of missionaries who tried to get a foothold in some pagan land. And trying to get a foothold with the gospel of Christ. And you read about the conflict. The opposition. The irrationality of human beings toward the message of Christ. In fact, just read the paper today. What atheistic communism in China and their approved Protestant religion arms, arm, due to the, the true believers, the Christian churches that meet in secret tunnels in North China, it doesn't make any sense. It is irrational to hate the best 
and the most judicial, most productive people in a nation. It was irrational what Nero and Diocletian did to humble, peace-loving, very kind families. It was irrational what Hitler and Stalin did to the Jews. It made no sense. It was irrational what and evil what Rome did to Protestants and what Protestants did to Baptists. You look at the real motive for war, slavery, communism, the lies of evolution. Just go down the line. I'll put it to you this way. If you want to see a nation and a nation of people foam at the mouth and instantly declare war, not over money or lands, but they will, If you really want to see the heathen rage, let an American president declare that Jesus is God, that evolution is a lie, that sodomy is a sin, that abortion is murder, and that marriage is holy before God. Let an American president sign executive orders to that effect, and there will be a civil war instantly. You know why? Because all of those positions that I just mentioned are what? True. The truth. You can't say the truth. That which is biblical. I say again, never forget that behind what you see, there is a spiritual warfare. Matter of fact, what you see in the contention of Michael and Lucifer over the body of Moses by illustration is frankly the key to the entire struggle of humanity down here. There is a war right now between good and and evil. That's number one. The second thing you consider from this is that number two, there's also a warrior. So Lucifer, right? And Michael, right? Turn back to verse three. Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once or one time delivered unto the saints. Wait a minute. You see the word contend? Jesus says, I was going to write to you about the common salvation, but the Holy Spirit changed to just tell you this. Earnestly. Fight. It's the exact same word used for Michael. You see, folks, there's the war. This giant universal spiritual war that you cannot see but there's also the battle there is this vast unseen theater where angels fight and lucifer accuses and then there's also the smaller battle and guess what if you're a believer today you're a warrior in that battle if you're a child of the living god you've been enlisted you are i I didn't sign up for this yes you did You are already on the muster. Now, folks, understand, that doesn't mean that you have to go out and win the war. Thank God for that. But what it does mean is God wants you to fight your battle. I'll say it again. The difference between a war and a battle is that a battle is an important, smaller part of a larger conflict. You had the Civil War, during which there was the Battle of Antietam and the Battle of Shiloh. In the battle of Missionary Ridge. And so it is in the spiritual realm. You and I are called to earnestly contend. 
I wonder how many of us in this room are obeying that command. This spiritual warfare going on between good and evil, we are commanded to earnestly contend for the faith. During the Second World War, all over little towns and villages in America, there were places that you could take your scrap metal, old tires, and signs that would say, do your part in the war effort. People in their backyards had victory gardens, and they would grow vegetables for soldiers and, and the effort. There's that scene in It's a Wonderful Life where George Bailey is grudgingly going through this mock air raid with the citizens of Bedford Falls, the Battle of Bedford Falls, the narrator calls it. While his brother is over fighting, flying some aircraft in the Battle of Berlin or something. And of course, that's what you have in a war. You have individual battles, both home and abroad. And you know, folks, the exact same thing holds for this spiritual war that is real. It is not an accident that the Bible calls you a soldier over and over again. And while again we are not told to go out and win the war against evil, we are commanded to fight the good fight. We are commanded to fight our battles. You say, Pastor, what battles? The battle for your child's heart. This world and evil wants to steal your children and your grandchildren's soul. And you're to earnestly contend against that. The battle for your own marriage. The battle for your testimony. The battle for souls that are lost. Your church. Your brethren. Look at verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before, before us of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. We see it. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. See that verse, verse 17? Remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ? Where did the apostles get the words? You know, here's the, here's the old battle cry. Remember the Alamo. Remember Pearl Harbor. Remember the Maine. Jude says, remember the Lord. Specifically, remember his words. The apostles spoke his words and were to remember those words and live and speak those words, his word. Because in Satan's long war against God, his real strategy is to get to you. He started with Eve in the garden. He's not finished. Let me ask you a question. What did the devil want with Moses' body? Did that mean anything to God? Was it going to hurt God's feelings if he did something to that body? How is that a strategy against the God he hates? It's not, except that Satan wasn't trying to get at God with Moses' body so much as it's God's people. And as we noted, what better way to tempt a weak people to come back, leave the promised land, go again back over to Jordan, and then look at the sepulcher of their former leader. A greater incentive to idolatry. And I'll say it again, while the war is raging behind the scenes, and it is right now. 
The battle in the battleground is right here. And it's right here. Paul said in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. That's the big picture. But then he said, well, how do you do that? How do we wrestle against all that? He goes on to say, praying always. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be honest and work hard. Husbands, love your wives. He goes on to say in the same text, sing hymns, give thanks, have no fellowship with darkness. In other words, do your part in the war effort. Fight the good fight. You ever wonder why more than once Paul says, and he tells Timothy to fight the good fight? I can tell you because if there's a good fight, there should also probably therefore be a bad fight. And God doesn't want us in the bad fights. I remember <clears throat> my brother and I were talking just the other day, reminiscing. There was a bully in our street in Wichita Falls, Texas. I was five years old or so, and he was around eight. Dennis was six. And this kid was always bullying one of us, and especially Dennis. So one day we ambushed him. We pinned him on the ground. My mom said, she said, Jimmy, I looked out the window, and it's a good thing I did. <clears throat> My brother Rick was on his legs. Dennis had his arms down, and I was kneeling over him with a huge rock <laughs> over his head. My poor mom, <laughs> screaming. Were you going to drop that rock, Pastor? No, 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 no. We, we were negotiating. We made him an offer he couldn't refuse. <clears throat> Those are bad fights. That's a bad fight. A lot of Christians fight this and that and the other and here and there and everywhere. It's not the good fight of faith. Pastor China, I know. Pastor North Korea, the Illuminati. That's body of Moses territory. There's nothing we can do about the, the ideas of China. What the deep state does is out of our hands. But being faithful to Jesus' church is not. It's not out of our hands. Reading your Bibles is not out of our hands. I was a youth pastor in Knoxville, and I remember a very fine young man one of our young people, he was like 19 at the time, but he went through my youth group all the way through, and he got caught up in some cause for freedom fighters in Nicaragua. And he started going to meetings, dressing in camo, these, these Contra support strategy meetings in Tennessee on the weekends. Before long, he was completely out of church. He was out of fellowship because he got involved in a sort of subculture to destroy communism. In other words, he got so involved in this big war, as he saw it, he forgot to fight his own battles. And consequently, he was a casualty. He gave place to the devil. But pastor, don't you believe, don't you believe what's going on behind the scenes? I got news for you. I believe what's going on behind the scenes of what's going on behind the scenes. Because God has rolled back the curtain enough for us to see it. The prince 
of the power of the air is all over the air, and he is at work. We may not see the principalities, but we see the casualties. Our United States Supreme Court has a United States Supreme Court justice who cannot or will not define what a woman is. You talk about peak deception and, as well, a direct assault on the Creator and His design. Every single thing that the Scripture teaches in the book of Genesis as foundational truth is under full frontal assault by the world. And there's a reason for that. This summer, when our young people meet back in here on Wednesday nights, I hope to go back to Genesis and start from the beginning and lay that foundation for our teenagers that's being destroyed by everything they see and hear and watch. Yeah, there's always something going on behind the scenes. Our Lord Jesus spoke about it in the letters, the seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor. One of the churches, remember Jesus said, was in the same town as Satan's seat. Your church is where Satan is right now. His headquarters is, Jesus told them. But you know what he said? He doesn't tell the church to unseat the devil. That was not what the letter said. God does not ask us to join forces with Michael and Gabriel in their arena. God hasn't asked us to contend for the body of Moses stuff. But he tells us to contend for the faith. In other words, you cannot stop all of the evils and the illicit material, all of the false teachings that's pouring into this world. But you can't stop it from coming into your house and your home. I'll say it again, God hasn't called us to win the war of the universe, to defeat all evil, but we can sure fight the battle of Jupiter, the battle of Barbersville, Waynesville. Even more importantly, the war in your flesh that Paul speaks of in the book of Romans. Folks, there's a war. There's a spiritual warfare that is vast and it is unseen and it explains so much of what we do see in the world. When you see things that don't make sense, that are just evil and dark and irrational, understand that God has pulled the veil back to remind us. There's a war and there's a warrior. It's a battle. It is your battle and my battle. And it is his battle and her battle and his battle and her battle. And every single one of us called by God to do our part in the war effort. Look at verse 20 again. Notice the verbs. But ye building, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. That's talking about growing, praying, building, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus eternal life and some having compassion, making a difference. There's stuff to do. We said, number one, there's a war. Number two, there's a warrior. Number three, I want you to notice, finally, there's a winner. Verse 9 again. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst or dare not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. By the way, notice that even Michael, an archangel, understood where real authority and real victory comes from. The Lord rebuke you. Verse 24, now unto him 
that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And God's people said, Amen. In other words, as we often say here, we're not fighting for victory. I'm not biting my fingernails, wondering how it's going to turn out. We're fighting from victory. Someone asked me a while back, said, Pastor, wouldn't it be great if you could go back into Paul's death cell? Just before his execution, when it seemed that the gospel was being crushed by Rome and he was going to lose his head, wouldn't it have been great to go back and encourage him for him to hear that his labor was not in vain? And I said to this person, I said, actually, no, actually, he was already encouraged. Folks, his last words were not, oh, I tried. His last words were, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not to me only, but to all them that look for his appearing. He said, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. Paul didn't need someone from the future, one of us, to go back and encourage him. He's the one encouraging us in the future. Because God's word is eternal. We're on the winning side. We're all in the service of the king who's already fought, already suffered, already been wounded, and already conquered the foe. But pastor, the leaders, our leaders in America, the leaders of the world are blind and corrupt and destructive. And they come down with these edicts and these things and it just, it'll crush this person. And there was a pastor, a friend of mine in Canada that had to go to jail. I know. But you know what? I would rather fail in a cause that ultimately triumphs than triumph in a cause that ultimately fails. And guess what? Satan and evil ultimately fail. Beside all that, if you're building and praying and keeping and looking and making a difference, the Bible says the devil will flee from you. He gives you victories in the little battles. I remember a pastor telling me about his visit to Cincinnati Zoo. He noticed that an attendant walked into a cage with a, with a wildcat. And he didn't have anything in his arm except for a broom. And he just kind of swept the wildcat away when he came to where he was. Brushed him aside and the cat just sort of hissed and was, was upset. And this man apparently said to this worker, aren't you afraid? And the man said, no, I ain't afraid. He said, that wildcat must be tame or you must be really brave. He said, he ain't tame and I ain't brave. It's just that he's old, and he ain't got no teeth. And you know, beloved, if you'll keep yourself in the love of God, and pray, and build yourself up, and earnestly contend for the faith, you will find out that in context, with God on your side, the devil's old, and he ain't got no teeth. Michael and Satan fought over the body of Moses. Michael... The Bible says, called in the name of the Lord. Who won the battle? Here's my question. Who won that battle? We know who won. There's always a winner. Look at verse 1. We'll close. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. What? Sanctified, preserved, called. You have the victory. The only question is, are you fighting 
your battle. See, here's why Paul didn't need an encourager from the future when he said, I finished my course, I fought a good fight. He was encouraged by the one from eternity. He didn't need anyone from the future or the past. And neither do you. We have an eternal book. One of the staples in our home for decades was a box about that big but that deep. It was a huge box and it had nothing but songbooks and CDs by Patch the Pirate. Every new edition, when it came out, Louise ordered it, two, two copies of every CD and every book. And instantly she started playing them on the piano in our homes, in our home for years. And not just for VBS, which she did do for years, but just to the boys growing up and dozens of times as specials in church. Those books were worn out. When we were moving from Egret and packing things away and I saw that big box, it was maybe the one singular thing that went with us everywhere we went. This morning as I read the update that Ron Hamilton patches hours away from glory, may even be in glory by now. I remember one song of his in particular as I read that. It was called Home at Last. When at last my life has ended and I enter heaven's rest. Did you know that heaven's a place of rest? Why would it be called that? Well, if you're a soldier and you're fighting and you're earnestly contending, you'll want to rest. When at last my life has ended, I entered heaven's rest. I will live in God's eternal peace and the dwelling of the blessed. All my pain will then be over. Earthly cares will fade away. Going home. Going home. I will enter there by grace alone. Oh, what joys my heart has never known. Going home. Oh yeah, there's a winner. God has already won. But until we get there, earnestly contend for the faith. There's a battle for us to fight. It's not a time for us to envy evildoers. It's not a time for us to fret because of them. It's time for us to, God put us here for such a time as this, to fight the good fight of faith. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I wonder who might say here, Pastor Blake, like this Sunday morning, I'm, I'm a child of the living God by grace. I'm saved. My name is in heaven. If your name's in heaven, that means your name's on the muster roll. You're a child of God. You're a soldier. Pastor Blake, I'm saved, but I needed this reminder today as a Christian. It's not time to wave the white flag. Oh, it's just no hope, Pastor. Society. No, no, no. No, the, bat, the, the war has been won. God wants you to fight your battle. Not to go AWOL. Pastor, I'm saved today. I'm a child of God, but in some measure, as a Christian, I needed this reminder, this message. And God is speaking to my heart. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building? I lift mine and amen and praise the Lord. Amen. In a group this size, there will be some who are not, whose names are not written in heaven. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now about something, about sin, maybe some of you walked in these doors, you've never heard anything like this. What the Scripture says. What Jude, 
the half-brother Jesus himself says about lasciviousness and sin. Because, see, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you're not sure that you're saved, if you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, that, heaven's in your, that heaven, your name's written in heaven, if you're not positive of that, could we pray for you? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart about being saved today? We'd love to pray for you. I won't embarrass you. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Hold it up till we see it. Amen. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. If you raised your hand and said, I'm not sure I'm saved, Brother Andy would love to take you to the Bible and show you how you can be sure. For believers in this room, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart about something in your life, in your home, in your mind, with your children or your grandchildren. There's a wonderful text in the Old Testament that says there is no discharge from this war. There is no discharge from this war. Till we find that rest at home. Obey his voice. Father, thank you for your word. Use this invitation, Lord, in our lives and our hearts to remind us of whatever it is the Holy Spirit would speak to us from this text, from your word. Thank you, Lord, that your son has crushed the serpent's head and that we are fighting from victory, not for it. But please help us to fight. While we have love in our hearts, the love of Christ, one for another and for the lost, while we have compassion, as Jude says, making a difference, help us also to know that we are called to earnestly contend for the faith once one time delivered to the saints. Bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.